and welcome to the Your Favourite Teacher podcast. For additional support materials, visit www.yourfavouriteteacher.com. Over the course of the next few lessons, we'll be examining the ideas and methods behind Priestley's play and in spectacles. Today, I'll be giving you a brief plot summary and introducing some terminology regularly associated with the format of a play. An Inspector Calls is divided up into three acts. As with most plays, Priestley gives instructions to the director and actors through the use of stage directions. All the action takes place in the Burlings dining room, which means there's only the need for one set. The initial instructions by Priestley can be quite revealing, but I shan't be delving into them this lesson. The play is set in 1912. So, Act 1 begins and the Burlings are gathered to celebrate the engagement of Sheila and Gerald Croft. Mr Burling gives a rather pompous speech, asserting his wisdom and claiming that talk of war is fiddlesticks. Now, as the 1945 audiences have just lived through two world wars, his ignorance instantly sets them against this character and his opinions. A police inspector arrives and reveals that a girl, Eva Smith, has committed suicide. Each character in turn is found to have played a part in her death, and so the whodunit style drama begins. First we learn that Mr Burling, Arthur, fires her as she strikes for higher wages. This introduces the story's political element, with rights of workers opposing the interests of the capitalist businessmen. Next, the attention of the inspector arrives with Sheila, the Burling's daughter. It seemed that Sheila too ruined employment opportunities for Eva, as she had her fired from the clothes shop Millwoods. Sheila had been jealous and misused her power. Unlike her father though, it's clear that Sheila is truly troubled by her actions. Act 1 finishes with Gerald and Sheila discussing the affair that Gerald had last summer, guessing it was with the once Eva, now going by the name Daisy Renton. So, end of Act 1, two suspects down and the prospect of Gerald's revelation has been set up for the audience. Act 2 reveals the details of Gerald's affair with Daisy Renton to the Burling family and he leaves the stage. It seems that his love affair with Daisy left her cast aside. The inspector then turns his focus to Sybil, Arthur's wife. We know that she's her husband's social superior and she seems rather snobbish. She's not intimidated at all by the inspector's questioning. We learn that she denied Eva funds when Eva visited the charity she's on the board for. Eva was pregnant, yet Mrs Burling refused her money, adamant that the financial responsibility lies with the father alone. It's the end of Act 2, and we've been faced with the wrongdoings of Mr Burling, who sacked her, Sheila, whose pettiness gets her fired, Gerald, who uses her, and Mrs Burling, who refuses to help her. Only the Burling's irresponsible son Eric remains, and yes, you've guessed it, at the start of Act 3 it's revealed that he is the father of the baby. What's worse is that it's suggested that he may have forced himself on her when he was drunk. The inspector gives a speech, highlighting the collective responsibility of each character in driving this woman to her suicide, and asks them to consider their treatment of others. He warns them of the powerful and disastrous consequences of their actions and then he leaves the stage. Gerald returns having pieced together some of his concerns about Gould's true identity and the Burlings conclude that he wasn't a real police inspector at all. 
At this point, the older generation are filled with relief and start to celebrate the avoidance of a public scandal. Yet Eric and Sheila can't shake their guilt for their treatment of Eva. We then have the final piece of action. The celebrations are interrupted once more, this time with a phone call. A girl has killed herself and a police inspector is on his way to ask some questions. Dun dun dun! Now, we can pick apart the significance of all this at a later date, but for now, try the activities and be proud in the knowledge that at least you know what happened in an inspector calls. We're going to be examining the roles of Mr and Mrs Burling and looking at how they function as part of Priestley's message. It's important to realise when we discuss these characters that they are literary constructs. This means that they were created by Priestley to demonstrate an idea. It's not that, say, Priestley doesn't like Mr Burling, but rather Mr Burling represents an idea, capitalism, that Priestley doesn't agree with. So, let's have a look more closely at how Priestley uses these two figures. Firstly, we have Mr Burling. He is a businessman, somewhat of a social climber, ignorant and hugely selfish. If we look at some of his most memorable comments, we can see how he symbolises all the things Priestley wants society to move away from. Let's look at his first introduction. Arthur Burling is a heavy-looking, rather portentous man in his middle 50s, with fairly easy manners but rather provincial in his speech. A few pieces of useful information here. The image created is one of an overweight, perhaps greedy and self-important man. The fact that he is provincial in his speech means he has a regional accent. Accent and class were closely linked, which implies that he's not always been of such a high status. The start of Act 1 is heavily dominated by Mr Burling and his worldly advice to Gerald and Eric. His business motivations are obvious as he hints that the engagement between his daughter and Gerald could lead to a deal and he hopes will unite their two rival companies. He continues into a rather rambling speech, whilst he seems to be promoting his own self-importance. Priestley is using this to demonstrate how little Arthur really knows. His use of dramatic irony here is a key technique to ensure the audience oppose Arthur Burling from the start. Burling talks about the unsinkable Titanic and silly little war scares, which highlights his ignorance. Once Priestley establishes Arthur as a character not to be respected, it provides Arthur's opposition, the inspector, with the automatic support of the audience. Arthur's sacking Eva shows his lack of compassion for the plight of the working classes, a movement heavily supported by Priestley and his socialist ideals. He doesn't believe in the concept of community and all that nonsense, and Eva was just considered cheap labour to him. Arthur commands respect, even though he hasn't quite earned it. He's a public figure and very concerned with the concept of reputation and status. He would give thousands to avoid a public scandal and the nasty mess of Eva Smith is very much in relation to how the events will impact him and his family. He shows no remorse for his treatment of Eva and is more outraged with Eric for stealing than the suggestion that he forced himself on Eva. Now for his wife. Sybil is his social superior, and superiority is certainly something she exudes. She is highly prejudiced and seems to assume that morality is linked with class. For example, 
she tells the inspector as if a girl of that sort would ever refuse money. Obviously not believing Eva's claims that she wouldn't accept the money if it was stolen. Mrs Burling had the opportunity to help Eva when she visited the Bromley Women's Charity Organisation. Sybil is completely unapologetic throughout the play and symbolises the hypocrisy of the upper classes in a few different ways. She's overly concerned with etiquette, manners and values them over morality. Priestley wants the audience to realise the misdirected importance of appearance and perception. Her preoccupation with status blinded her to some of the issues in her own family. Her son's alcoholism and daughter's concerns over Gerald losing interest go completely unnoticed. She refuses to accept any responsibility of wrongdoing for not helping Eva. She blames the father of the baby, too blinded by pride to realise that this is her own son, Eric. I blame the young man who was the father of the child she was going to have. If, as she said, he didn't belong to her class and was some drunken young idler, then that's all the more reason why he shouldn't escape. He should be made an example of. If the girl's death is due to anybody, then it's due to him. But surely, I mean, it's ridiculous. She's the most composed under the inspector's scrutiny. You have no power to make me change my mind. And she reprimands her family. I was the only one who didn't give in to him. Arguably, Mrs Burling's refusal to help Eva was the final straw leading her to her suicide. Yet Sybil had no compassion for the girl who would be carrying her grandchild. Mr and Mrs Burling are both unchanged in their opinions. Priestley uses them as a tool to represent the older generation and the ideas of the past. Towards the end of Act 3, when they believe it to be a hoax, we've all been had, they are relieved at the avoidance of scandal, learning nothing from the inspector's lessons on social responsibility. Above all, remember, these characters are presented in opposition to the inspector and therefore Priestley. They are a symbol for discrimination against and exploitation of the working class in Edwardian societies.